Welcome to Living Wisely, Living Well, timeless wisdom to enrich every day with Asha Nayaswamy, one of the spiritual directors of Ananda Palo Alto and a founding member of Ananda Worldwide. If you enjoy this content and are inspired by the teachings of Paramahansa Yogananda and his disciple Swami Kriyananda, find Asha on YouTube, Facebook, all podcast directories, and her website, ashajoy.org. Living Wisely, Living Well, December 29th. Never identify anyone with his personality. Define him rather by his intentions and by the sincerity with which he seeks truth. The personality is only a product of actions and reactions over countless incarnations. The innate goodness of one's intentions, however, has its origin at their furthest depths in the self. This is an extremely interesting sort of analysis of human beings and a profound suggestion about how to relate to people that not only brings infinitely more happiness to our own hearts, but also helps uplift and give other people hope and encouragement um, in a way that is, is honestly very rare in this world. So it, it starts with Swamiji really dividing up between the way a person um, interacts with the world. And he simply says, a personality is only the product of actions and reactions over many incarnations. I mean, that is just like, you have to stop for a moment because it's hard, it's hard even to imagine that our personality is not who we are. It's merely the habit of actions and reactions over many incarnations. It's, it's this superficial movement of energy that everybody thinks of as who you actually are. But what, what Swamiji is saying is that the, the real um, definition of a person, the real de- defining important characteristic is from, is from in the, the, the origin point of each of us as individuals in the heart of spirit and, and the power and the longing of that spirit to move us ever closer to the heart of truth and to, and to realize within ourselves our innate divinity. And the way we interact with the world is so, so superficial compared to the force of, of that part of our nature. I had an interesting realization that relates to this. Um, I came to Ananda when I was 24 years old in that first year, 1971, We had a Christmas celebration at the Ananda village, which was the only Ananda there was at the time. The the core of the community, at the most it was 50 people, it might have been less than that. There were more people living on the land, but there were kind of, there was a group that was really close with Swami Kriyananda that really became the founding members. And then there was a kind of outer circle of people who were there for a lot of different reasons and mostly they all left, including in 1976, five years later, when all of their houses burned down, and that we didn't arson them, but it, Divine Mother did it, and it, it gave people a chance to decide what Ananda meant to them. Those who were looking for a comfortable, beautiful home in the woods suddenly had nothing but 400 charred acres, and so Ananda in many ways ceased to exist for them at that point. Those of us who were dedicated to doing the work of our guru and realized that that work was vibrational, and even though we had 400 charred acres and many people didn't have homes anymore, that was incidental rather than defining what we're doing. 
So, and that's part of also what I'm talking about here. But so that first Christmas was my was uh, Swamiji decided to celebrate Ananda in the way that we've celebrated it ever since. A full day of an eight-hour meditation on Christmas Eve, a, 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 a party, a social party, but also with lots of singing and lots of Christmas carols. And then on Christmas Day, we would have an Indian banquet. And in the morning, we would listen to Handel's Messiah because Swamiji had not yet written the oratorio, his own oratorio, so we listened to that classical piece. But I had been raised Jewish, and I was not raised prejudiced against Jesus. I'd sort of absorbed a certain amount of Christianity because being a minority, as I always was, I didn't grow up in a Jewish school or a Jewish community. Um, I, I, I knew a little bit about Jesus, but I'd never really participated in Christmas. It wasn't culturally appropriate for me to do so. So that was not only my first Christmas at Ananda, it was essentially my first Christmas. And it was the first time I'd ever been anywhere where the, the real inner communion with Christ was being emphasized. And speaking particularly of the Christmas Eve party, I was in charge of the kitchen, and Swamiji worked with me to make the refreshments, to make eggnog, and the next day to make this Indian banquet, all these things. I was right in the middle of all of it. And on Christmas Eve night, we were gathered in what then we called the common dome, the dome that was common to all of us, which was the dining room. And uh, it was the only social hall that we had at the time. And we had these gas lights because we had no electricity. So the light was dim and you know bright spots and then many shadows and bright spots and shadows. Um, it, it started snowing. We were six miles back on a dirt road. It was actually virtually a blizzard. And so there was like 50 of us with Swamiji. At the most, there were 50 of us with Swamiji. Christmas Eve night in a snowstorm in, in an absolutely silent world with just these gas lights going. It was, well, magic doesn't even begin to describe it. And we'd had this eight-hour meditation before and we'd been you know, tuning in to Jesus and then Swamiji, Swamiji has a beautiful sing, had a beautiful singing voice, and there was this, this, there is this woman who's part of our community. Her name is Kalyani, and she was a, a trained soprano. She all had a beautiful voice. She was a pianist. We have these harmoniums, which are field organs that the British invented, so that when they went out to convert the heathen, they could play hymns, and it's sort of a, a small portable organ. Um, and so we put one of those. It had foot pedals. So Kalyani could pump it with foot pedals and play it with both hands like a piano, because we didn't have a piano. So Kalyani is playing these uh, Christmas carols. She's also playing classical songs that she and Swamiji both knew how to sing, Schubert and others. And she's playing, and there's a group crowded around, and then they start singing Christmas carols, and they're singing so beautifully, not just musically beautifully, but with real devotion to Christ, on a level that, you know, I never even imagined existed. And I was, the whole Christmas, I was transported. I felt like I really felt I had died and gone to heaven. That everything <clears throat> about my life before just didn't exist. This was the only thing that mattered. It was thrilling. Now, of course, many of us were young, and our parents wanted us home for Christmas. Fortunately, I was Jewish, and so there was no tradition in my family. I didn't face that. But as the years passed, many people felt a conflict between what their 
biological families wanted from them and what they wanted spiritually, which was to spend Christmas at Ananda. And Swamiji said, you should spend Christmas at Ananda, even if your family is annoyed with you. He said, their souls will rejoice because of the spiritual benefit. But it was still a dilemma. And I would say to people, just stay at Ananda for Christmas. It doesn't make any difference. If they disown you, if they never speak to you again, it won't matter. You must be here. This is the whole story. About seven or eight years later, I'm talking to someone about the importance of Christmas like this and how glorious it was. And all of a sudden, I had this strange mental image, which is my, my whole picture of that Christmas Eve party, which was the music, which was so thrilling. I was viewing it from a distance in my visual memory. And I thought to myself, why was I viewing it from a distance? Because it was my habit always to be in the center. And I realized <laughs> the reason I was viewing it from a distance is that first Christmas, a great many personal things happened to me that were profoundly upsetting. And I was in tears a great deal of that first Christmas. And specifically at that Christmas Eve party, we had a big oil heater in that room. And there was about a a two-foot space between the oil heater and the wall where the big pipe went up. And I had sort of crawled into that space because I was crying. I was just so emotionally upset about so many things which were not small and certainly did not feel small to me. And I remember having this big wad of paper towels and I was just... So I watched them sing, weeping in the dark. And the most amazing thing to me was I completely forgot that I had been crying. All I could remember is how thrilled my soul was. I mean, so just completely forgot. For years I forgot. And it only came back to me because I suddenly was puzzled by my point of view. And it just became so obvious to me, and we'll call it personality, I'll call it emotion, whatever you want to call it, that there's this superficial layer where we bounce around on the surface of the ocean with all of these things happening, reacting and reacting and acting and reacting and developing this thing that I call myself that does certain things. And I could feel when I thought about that Christmas that my mind was just like spaghetti. It was just all knotted up. You know, sometimes you'll put your little earplugs things into your pocket and when you pull them out, they have tied themselves in knots. I can never figure out how they can loop themselves around and loop themselves through when all you've done is that. But they do it. That was my brain. That was my thoughts. That was my feelings. Completely twisted up like this. But my soul, my soul was in bliss. And my spiritual self was like an iron cable that was in a straight line. It was, it was from the heart of who I was directly to Swami Kriyananda, through Swami Kriyananda to Master and on into the infinite. There wasn't, there wasn't a wobble in that cable, not a wobble. There wasn't a curve. There certainly wasn't a knot. It was a straight line. It was stunning to me how different we are on different levels. It was so dramatic what I thought was happening and what was really happening. And so what Swami's talking about here, and this is what I saw him live out with us to a, just an astonishing degree. You know, people would have all these personality characteristics, and it wasn't that Swami didn't notice them. He wasn't unaware. He just considered them so unimportant compared 
to, to our aspiration, and he uses the word, and our sincere desire for truth. Sincere means that it's, it's, an, it's an authentic emanating from the inside. It's not, I'm trying to look good. It's not a casual hobby. It's not a, oh, I'll, I'll sort of mess around with this for a while, and then I'll mess around with that. It's this sincere commitment that, you know, this is my route and I'm going to follow it. And even if I follow it in a noisy kind of chaotic way with emotions and I'm reacting to this and I'm not very nice about this, all of that is so small compared to the defining reality, which is who I am and where I'm going. And that was a great deal of the genius of Swami's leadership, which was not a technique. It wasn't like he decided that he would relate to this. This was just literally how he saw us. He himself, he himself lived, you know, in that reality. That was his reality. I am a disciple of a great master. My life is to serve my master. And everything else just came with that. I'm reminded in this context of uh, Mother Teresa of Calcutta, who I actually met on more than one occasion because I used to be, be part of the leadership of a pilgrimage group that would go to India, not every year, but every other year and sometimes every year over a period of 20 years, maybe 12 times we went, starting in 1986. So Mother Teresa was still alive at that time and we went to Calcutta and we visited her orphanage and she had a system there that if you, um, if you came to 5.30 Mass and attended Mass, then afterwards if you were a, a foreign group from outside of India, she would meet with you. And she would meet for, you know, 10 or 15 minutes and you wouldn't sit. She was very efficient. She was an extremely efficient person. She wouldn't sit down with you because then you'd stay too long. But you would just stand and she would talk. And actually it was wonderful. She was perhaps one of the most no-nonsense persons, people I have ever met. Just she, she knew what she was doing. The context of this is a journalist once was talking to her about, oh, you're trying to help the poor, but you know, it's really not very efficient, you and you're just your sisters kind of wandering around. Don't you think there's NGOs and government agencies that could be more efficient helping the poor? And Mother Teresa, in her incredibly un, uh, unadorned manner, just looked at the journalist and said, I'm not helping the poor. And, you know, he kind of puzzled because it kind of seems like what you're doing. She says, I'm not helping the poor. I'm doing what Jesus asked me to do. And she just left it. I don't know if he understood at all what she was saying, but I understood it immediately. I'm only helping the poor because Jesus asked me to, because following Jesus is what I'm doing. And, and basically, that's what makes me who I am. You think it's because I'm helping the poor. That's just my personality. This is superficial. Following Jesus is who I am. And, he, and she was right. And when we think about ourselves in that light, and we really don't ask about these superficial ups and downs, but in my core, in my point of origin, who am I and what do I aspire to? And everything else is incidental. And the more we can live in that in ourselves, the more we can give that perception, our perception of that in others, the more powerfully helpful we can be and the, and the more true we'll be to our own aspirations and also to living in this world as if with the eyes of God, which is what we all aspire to do. So, Swami says, Never identify anyone with his personality. 
Define him rather by his intentions and by the sincerity with which he seeks truth. The personality is only a product of actions and reactions over countless incarnations. The innate goodness of one's intentions, however, has its origin at their furthest depths in the self. God bless you, my friends. Our work is made possible by inspired listeners. So if you feel to support Asha, you can make a one-time donation or for unique members-only content, subscribe through Patreon. Blessings and thank you.